Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of a long time, <laughs> and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. Uh, I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, soon to be Highland Games athlete again. Uh, I'm a run strength guild, amongst other things. So, and I'm in one piece. I did my meet, and I came out whole. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's obvious. Always. That's the first obvious piece of uh, news. Um, yeah. Tell us about what happened. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, I mean, it was good meat for everybody. I mean, I didn't have the day I wanted. I was cramping really bad the day before. Um, and tried to get a bunch of Gatorade and electrolytes in and stuff like that. Came in feeling good. Warmed up. Hit. My last warm-up for squat was 650. So hit that. Didn't feel as great as it should, but I knew I'd be fine. Um, went out and decided to open with 705 point whatever it is um because i didn't want to be the guy that opens at 699.3 or whatever okay like i want to be over 700 so uh i sunk it It maybe the lowest squat i've ever i've ever squatted uh i actually got three white lights but uh oh good (laughs) which never happens for me (laughs) (laughs) i always get one red light on my my hip replacement side Mm -hmm. but uh um about four inches out of the bottom of my hamstring cramped really, really hard, right where they reattached it. Oh. Which was a little bit of a scary situation. Yeah. And it, it felt like forever to me. Watching the video, you don't even really notice it much. And it was a noticeable left for my wife. She was probably 100 feet away and came running you know, when she saw my face. But uh, uh, shifted the weight to the other leg, my hip replacement leg, and stood up. And I made the lift. But... uh just from that, it was cramped real bad, and uh, decided to call the rest of the squats and see if I could deadlift. Um, went on, did bench, that went fine, um, despite not having been able to use leg drive. And then I literally, I couldn't set up for a deadlift at all. So, oh, uh, I, would, I just called it. I went over there and initially just called it and told them that I'm done. You know, and then Eddie Cohn and all them guys were like, no, you can't do that. You got to do one. Just do it. You can... You can deadlift 135 on one leg. And uh, so, so I was like, okay, that's fine, just to get a total. And uh, so I pulled a 137.4 deadlift on one leg. Uh, <laughs> okay. To cap out the meat and get a my the lowest total ever in the history of me by like <laughs> right. 300. So I got like a 1,230-pound total. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and it was a good day. Like I said, I'm I'm not upset. Things like that happen. Uh, I still was able to open with 705. Right. Which was the second heaviest squat of the day. Um, and it's more than I've done in a meet, so by five pounds. I thought so, yep. It's not the 800 I wanted, which I, I think was there if this didn't happen. But uh, I'm able to move on and do another one. So <laughs> that's always good without any... You know, basically, I need to take a week or two of just giving it a break, and it's already feeling a lot, lot better. There was no bruising afterwards, 
which is always the first sign we look for. Oh, right. For, for a tear. Yeah. Next day, I'm pulling down my pants and having my wife look at my butt. And, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I mean, it was a great, great day for lifters. It, uh, one of my lifters became the fifth person in history to deadlift and squat 900 pounds in the same meet. Oh, Big Brian squatted 903.9 in sleeves. And then uh, after that, we had him settled down. He had a bad bench day. His shoulders been bugging him. Bad bench day for him is 475. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all then, relative. Yeah, and then on his second attempt deadlift, we got the same 903.9 beltless. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the only one to do that beltless uh, in history, especially after squatting 900. Uh, old 903.9 he was stoked and I think it was more of an issue of not an issue of him not having the strength to do the next attempt but like he was just done the goal was to go 900 900 um, and we got that and uh, went 933 on his third and he moved it off the ground but it was it was done yeah and I'll just celebrate had a good day so I mean he walked home with a bunch of money um Felicia, one of my lifters, in her second meet, hit a over uh, what over twelve hundred pound total. So yeah, she's the one. Didn't you say she was a little bit taller and or longer limbed or something? Or I can't remember. Like six like three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she still needs this one. We need to get like forty pounds put on her. So um, think about well, what that'll do. You know, to her numbers. I mean, they're going to skyrocket as she gains some weight. Yeah. And when you look at her. She's like nobody thinks she's over two hundred pounds because she's like skinny. Yeah, <laughs> skinny yeah. two hundred pound woman, tall. Um, yeah, because she's so tall. But uh, no, there was other great great lifts today. Uh, a, a a woman named Kirsten squatted five fifty. Oh uh, my and, god! Yeah, so she squatted five fifty, benched two something I don't remember, and just barely missed a five hundred deadlift. Um, you know, she wanted that real bad. But uh, it was good. We had, uh, who was it, Eddie Cohn, Stan Efferding, Andre Milenichev, Bo Moore uh, were our judges. So kind of an all-star panel of judges. Yeah, celebrity judges, yeah. It was a it was a great day, and it was a, a, a fairly large venue. Um, lots of room to move around, but it still felt like a small small meet, but uh, really great equipment. So we had all monoliths to warm up with and a monolith to lift on, which is fairly rare. Um you know, good bars, calibrated plates, all the all the legit stuff. So uh, just well done, yeah. I went down, but now I'm now in the record books with my lowest total ever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, in some ways, I feel like you know, like your story about going over 900 pounds and multiple lists and and not getting the 933 or what. That's sort of icing on the cake. You know, the cake was the 902 lifts. Or with you, you still had a PR in the squat. You know, yeah, I mean. Exactly. Dude, I can tell you, that's the kind of wisdom why I, I know that there's a little sense of disappointment in the back of your mind. Like, you know, I could have squatted more. But yeah. you know what? We both know this. You very, very quite possibly today might have retorn that hamstring if you weren't wise enough to walk away. Oh, I would have. I know I would. You know? The way it, if I'd have done more, I'd, I'd have torn it. And uh, another interesting thing, one of my buddies went ahead and called Guinness Book of World Records. And all we have to do is call them and tell them when I'm going to squat over 700 again, and they want to bring a crew out, and they have to film it. I love and it. And put the record books as far as squatting the most with a hip right. replacement. Right. So, 
Robo Phil for for Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that'll just because they don't have a record currently, but uh, somebody will come and beat me. I'm sure, and I'm okay with that. But, well, you know what? It's like Arnold used to say, though. Um, when people say it can't be done, that means you're the first. You get to be the first, right? So exactly. So, and um, no, it was a great day. It was a good day. We had a lot of lifters there, so I think I had like fourteen, fifteen lifters um, showed up and did it. So yeah, it's you know what? It's it's a one day. You know, uh, forget about the trophy. It's one day, one experience. And let's face it: every time. I've seen someone have a tear, including myself and you. Mm-hmm. You never see it coming, right? So when yeah. I say having the wisdom to walk away, um, that's a that's almost an accomplishment in itself because that's easier said than done, you know. Because there is that disappointment. You want to like, no, I'm going to do this, but oh yeah, you never oh, yeah. see the tear coming, never. So the only way to do it is preemptively, not be foolish. Yeah, you know. and, uh, yeah. A big part of me wanted to go ahead and call that seven fifty for a second attempt, but I was like, "No, nah, man, it's gonna go. It's gonna go back." Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up in a, in a six month rehab. You know. So right on. All over again. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, that's good stuff. Um, everyone, I didn't offer. Uh, it's always in the title, of course, of our episodes, but we're gonna have a show about uh gear pharmaceuticals you know the elephant in the room that sort of thing why a lot of really large mammals don't talk about their use and that sort of thing um there's some interesting ethical and other you know arguments there uh but let me let me do a little bit of other news and then phil we got a, a mail for you okay specifically and it's very thematic because it's about an artificial hip so okay um Let's see. I have two pieces here on coffee that came across my desk this week. Uh, And by the way, I wanted to shout out to everybody again. Thank you for your patience while we do some of this microbial testing going back and forth with the lab. I'm bitterly disappointed that I had to send those envelopes and then ask you to just kind of sit on them. But, you know, we're just trying to do everything right. But, uh, But I digress. This first one on coffee, it may have relevance to lifters. I'm always trying to you know, how do we spin this for people that are resistance training? Um, but it's called, uh, let's see, coffee compounds join forces to fight Parkinson's. So it talks about Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia here. How uh, caffeine in coffee, along with another compound found in the waxy coating of coffee beans, may help. They may actually work together. This is a study by uh, Rutgers University scientists. And again, I got this through IFT. Uh, dot org. Let's see. Uh, they publish it in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, but they believe that these two compounds work together and will actually be a therapeutic option to slow nervous system, like brain degeneration. Very interesting. And, of course, powerlifters, to me, I always think about the neural recovery in the nervous system, you know, more so than I do bodybuilders and that kind of thing. But um, I, I know this is not power lifters and i have to be careful extrapolating like this but they started by looking at this protein called alpha synuclein uh s-y-n-u-c-l-e-i-n uh and it accumulates in abnormal you know aggregates in brains of people with parkinson's so their goal was to try to minimize the degree that this protein phosphorylates i'm not going to bore everybody with the physiology there the biochemistry but essentially they said we found a compound in coffee called eht that keeps this alpha synuclein from becoming problematic. It says uh, individually, when they looked at caffeine in this molecule, 
um, this other compound. Individually, no clear benefit was noted in sub-therapeutic doses. However, says Moradian, which is one of the authors, the combination of caffeine and EHT protected the brain in two models. Uh, these are animal models of um, Parkinson's. So it's interesting how a lot of these phytochemicals work together. Uh, if Dr. Nelson was on, he'd probably start riffing about back in the day. You know, we really learned this lesson with a beta carotene and how phytochemicals and carrots work together differently. You can't just take beta carotene for things like lung cancer, you know. But anyway, how these things work together, new paper out about ways that coffee helps your nervous system. Let's just put it that way. And preventing something like Parkinson's or reducing its risk. The other one was from Karen, and this is more interesting and more direct. This is, again, this is a mouse model, so bear with me, but the title really grabs you. Coffee consumption promotes skeletal muscle hypertrophy and myoblast differentiation. So thanks for sending this, Karen. This is juicy. It says the effect of coffee on skeletal muscle hypertrophy, differentiation, and the mechanisms of action responsible have remained unclear. So they gave mice a normal diet with or without um, either 0.3% coffee or 1% coffee. So actually feeding the mice coffee. It says coffee supplementation was observed to increase skeletal muscle hypertrophy while simultaneously upregulating protein expression of total myosin heavy chains in the quadriceps muscle. Myostatin expression was attenuated right, or reduced and um, IGF-1 was upregulated. Coffee also increased their grip strength. I'm not sure how you do that in a mouse, but um, <laughs> these results suggest that coffee increases skeletal muscle function and hypertrophy. Well, I'll be damned because I wouldn't have guessed that coffee alone you know, would have a measure, measurable effect on muscle mass. Now, I'm not delusional. I don't think this is like coffee is like a serious anabolic agent, you know, but it's probably on the lines of when we talked about how ibuprofen ultimately may have mild – um, anabolic effects. We were talking to Nick Bird about that, but that's really cool. So now we have two papers this week, one on how coffee, the compounds work together to help your nervous system and your brain in slow degeneration, and one that it may actually help muscle gain. Very interesting stuff. I mean, I was always of the impression that it's mostly through the effects of, you know, harder lifts, uh, more focus, more alertness, a little bit more uh, bar velocity, um, but, you know, here they're just feeding it to mice, and they're, they're growing larger muscles. Now, mice are not people, but very interesting. So thank you for that, Karen. All right, on to some mail before we uh, go to break. Um, this first one, this is very relevant to you, Phil, from Nathan. Um, I'm hoping you can pass this message on to Phil so he can answer me or maybe address it on air. My mom is having hip replacement soon. Uh, unfortunately, due to years of high-impact aerobic training without regard to proper form so his mom's serious in the fitness stuff uh, mm -hmm. the pain has made her active lifestyle impossible and that's really bothering her uh, the type of hip she's getting is the titanium with polyethylene i think mm -hmm. a press fit type uh, and i wanted to know if there were any considerations she should think about before starting to train again she likes to do leg work so it would be good to know what kind of recovery time is expected and how quickly she should reintroduce exercises with significant hip motion or load. 
I remember there have been a few episodes where Phil spoke about his experience rehabbing and training his new hip. So I'm wondering if you guys could point me to uh, which episodes those were or approximately the month or year, etc. Well, let's get to his, his main question, Phil. Um, how quickly – obviously people differ – but mm-hmm. he's he's asking how quickly should she start to reload or you know work range of motion and all that sort of thing. I was working range of motion fast, but really the number one thing for me, and I don't know how long his mom's been battling this, the number one thing we worked on was teaching me to walk correctly again. So I had to relearn that because I'd been walking wrong for a lot of years due to the pain. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. For like eight years, so I just walked wrong. So number one was, and we used the walker for this. Um, because it allowed me to basically just concentrate on that. Um, was learning how to walk like a regular human again, <laughs> you know, yeah. and not sidestep. Um, how long did that take? Oh God, that took maybe a month, I, I would guess. And in the meantime, of course, I was doing some, you know, okay, sit down to a chair, stand up, sit down to a chair, stand up. They they'll give you a list of stuff you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Like I passed in the first the first day, I passed my their goals oh yeah so yeah i mean it just depends on how fit you are like i got my red star the first day and everybody was pissed off because but i was also like <laughs> 30 years younger than anybody oh sure yeah so it was me and a bunch of 70 year olds um they're like oh you little whippersnapper right you get your red star yeah and, yeah you know um so i mean i i just listen to that number one will just be trying to gain gain mobility back um i wouldn't look for much past uh a 90 degrees so, like, even my doctor, like, I'm, people, like, harp at me all the time. It's like, oh, you're squatting high. Well, yeah, my doctor told me to, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, 90% of my training and stuff, and he's like, just just don't go low that often. So said, you can do it. He said, I just wouldn't spend a lot of time down there. Mm-hmm. So I'll spend most of my time above above parallel, and that's okay because I've, I've, I know myself, like, at this last meet, when I need to, I can do it. If I'm squatting two inches high, it's like that extra two inches isn't that big of a deal. Um so, but I was back in there pretty quick, man. You just got to do what, if something feels wrong or hurts, don't do it. You know, keep yeah. pushing that pain-free envelope, and you, she'll, she'll know what feels bad. Um, she's going to have to give up the running. She's going to have to get the, give up the pounding exercises. That was the number one thing I was told. It was like, you just, he literally told me, the only time you are allowed to run from now on is if you're in a building that's on fire. <laughs> Um, so I was like, oh, okay. That sums you know, it up. That's, a, that's pretty, yeah. So there's just no pounding. He's like, you can load that thing, but that's not what's going to hurt it. It's the pounding on that polymer joint. It's The new polymer is really, really hard, um, and it lasts a long time. But still, I mean, it's the pounding that would give it, that would drastically shorten its lifespan. Um, you don't want that thing to loosen up and start clunking in the joint. So, I mean, guy, if I look, I'm trying to put a date on things, but, I mean, I was back pulling – I was probably back pulling in the 600s within six months. You know, wow. it wasn't it wasn't a long time, um, but I started off really slow, and then the squat was was longer than that. But I just like I did with do with any injury, I erased my PRs and just created new ones. So once I could squat the bar, it was like, hey, PR, you know, 95 pounds, good to go. Yeah, and I I only moved up when okay that feels right, um, and then pain slowly just totally went away. I mean, she's going to have some tightness, and she'll in 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 a short amount of time she'll learn what feels right. You know, tightness ah, it's not that bad. Pain not bad, or not good. So I mean, and there's there's going to be tightness in the joint, and especially right away, 
depending on the, the procedure they do. I mean, I was, my doctor just told me, he said, you were a lot harder than a normal person. They had to cut through a lot of stuff to get to my hip yeah. because I have a lot more stuff. Right. So I had some more healing time. I had some more soft tissue that had to, to put itself back together. You know, yeah. where she might not have that. They might be able to move hers out of the way easy to get to her hip. They had to they had to hack into me pretty good. So like my scar is a lot bigger. I was supposed to have like a two and a half inch scar and I got like a nine inch scar. Um, yeah, to they get, dig to in, get there. in there. Yeah. Yeah. They had to get in there and get to the thing. So she'll know when that pain's gone. I mean, I was off painkillers fast because the pain even the even the pain two days after hip replacement, it was night and day compared to what my pain before. It was like, I can handle this. This is nothing compared to what I was living with. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So it's like, just give me some ibuprofen and I'm good. Um, yeah. So I was able to drop the painkillers. And, yeah, I mean, I'd say start start walking correctly and then uh, that should be number one goal. Once she can do that and not think about it, now we can start slowly bending that hip and start going to chairs and things like that. And uh, I did the bicycle a lot. Um, is how I got my mobility back. That's probably 90% of what I used to get mobility back. I got on a bicycle and I set the seat really, really, really high. And I would pedal there. Mm-hmm. And at first it was tight and you you could see my hip kick out to the side when it was oh, really tight. Right. Um, so I would stay at that level until, okay, I can keep my hip straight. And now I could drop the seat an inch. And then I'd stay there until my hip wouldn't ever kick oh, out. Oh, I like that so, idea. Progressively drop the seat. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was able to just keep my hip in line and stretch everything back out. So, and then I got to the point where I could do that and the hip was hitting at or a little bit below 90 degrees. And I'm not loaded on a bicycle, of course. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh. You know, Phil, I like what you said about when you're competing for the Red Star or whatever. Like, yeah. it, it sounds like his mom is fit and, you know, probably fairly competitive and has a, a, yeah. a bit of pride and all that. Is do what, what you did, I thought was very wise. Like, reset like wipe the slate clean and almost compete within like how well you can do to comply with the surgeon's orders you know what i mean like how quickly can you get that rehab star if you will before you worry too much about walking into a dirty gym (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and i can tell you this there there are pts now physical therapy in general is a lot a lot more aggressive than it used oh, to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to get you in there, and they want to get you moving as quickly as possible because the longer you don't, the tighter you're going to get and the more muscle mass you're going to lose. So, yeah, she'll push it, but just be smart about it. Don't do anything that feels dangerous, you know? yeah. especially right at the first because basically you have a, they've stretched out all that soft tissue, and that's what their number one worry is, is not the integrity of the hip joint. It's that those muscles aren't holding it in place. Right. So all that stuff needs to tighten back up. And that's like we were talking about it the other day. I was told that, hey, you probably shouldn't like snow ski and things like that. But again, you're looking at – they're looking at an average population of about 70 years old. I have a lot more holding that hip in place now. So will I try that sometime? Yeah, I might. And I think my my risk is fairly low. Um, But I don't know. know, I was told I probably shouldn't. But I was told that what's going to knock that hip out after it's tightened back up is a traumatic event, like falling, you know, yeah. really hard and twisting the leg, and, right. you know, something that would happen on water skis or snow skis. It is amazing, like though, I think, what soft tissue can do around a joint. I, I'm oh, not sure. sure. I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not, but um, I, th- I might have told you off air. I can't remember, but uh, I have a – I got a kitty last summer, and she had her hips crushed when she mm-hmm. was a very tiny, just weeks old. 
and we she's a rescue. We got her from the the local um, you know humane society or whatever. Yeah. And um, but here's the point: um, she does not have a femoral head on one side. They okay. have what's called – it's a very common surgery, I guess, in cats called a false joint where they remove the, – because it's very painful for it to pop in and out because her mm-hmm. hips were just crushed. You know, yeah. And it made me think of you, I mean, you know, yeah. when you were young. But um, it's very common that uh, she's not in pain, and I'm telling you, this cat can run and jump and sprint. When she walks very slowly, she has a limp. But other than that, I mean, they're on the high end of performance – Again, she does not even have that ball and socket thing going on on one side, right? And yet the soft tissue around there has built up to such an extent that when she tightens it down, she's a little dragster, you know. And it just really reinforced to me what kind of what we've been talking about, right, which is the extent to which soft tissue can almost form that kind of false joint and tighten things down and hold it in, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, she's going to want to search out a – like me, my doctor just told me. I, I didn't know my doctor before I went in there, but he just he knew me. Um, he didn't give me a PT. He's like, I'm not assigning you a physical therapist. He said, you can do this. You know? um, yeah, but yeah. she's probably going to want to search one out that's good. Um, I would probably go for a sports-minded one because that's what she's wanting. Agreed, uh, yeah, yeah. And just go in there and be brutally honest with them and tell them this was my lifestyle before. I want to return to that. You know, yep. it, and they they will tell you like if the running and stuff, they're probably gonna say no. But you can be active, and you can start weight training and this and that, and then help her get there as quickly as possible. They're gonna want to push it, and you're gonna go through stages that are like I said, uncomfortable, but not painful, and be aggressive, and uh, you'll get back quick. I mean, I I can't see why she couldn't be back to a fairly normal lifestyle in six months. You know, if I can make it back to pulling six hundred. <laughs> well, that's yeah. not a normal lifestyle for right. most people. Yeah. So, well, and like um, you, and it she's, sounds like she's in shape. Right. Yeah. So. She's asking more of. She's going to be asking more of this hip than the average person. Yes. But not right. Not squatting seven hundred pounds and that kind of stuff. But. But yeah, get to walking right, and then get and walking right and mobility is number one, and then start going from there and start loading the joint and mm-hmm. uh, and start off at nothing. Start off at a goblet squat with twenty five pounds or whatever, or just a bar. So whatever is really light for her. Yeah, if she's a right, aerobic, yeah, if she's really into the aerobic thing, um, the cycling thing that you mentioned, it could be a way for yeah. her to kind of hang on to an aerobic base, you know, yeah, and, and keep her that, sanity. No pound. Yep, yep. And sled pushes, like that's I'll do sled pushes. So like I'll have my people sprint with a sled. Um, I'll just load it up really, really heavy to where I can't sprint, but I have to push it. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. pounding, and I'm just uh, I'm like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, the, the, the Conan. Right. The Conan wheel. The wheel, yeah. 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 So where it's hard, and that's very aerobic. I mean, if you're just constantly pushing something really heavy, but then I'm not pounding. So, Right on. But. Now, in the future, I don't even know if you can get all this information, but the only other thing Nathan asked about was um, the materials and the press fit aspect of it and yeah, all that kind of from stuff. What I, from what I know of right now, the best ones out there are what he's talking about. Okay. It's a new, it's a new Space Age polymer. With uh, a titanium head, okay. They're supposed to last the longest right now. Uh, they're a twenty-five year hip, and that's what I got is a twenty-five year hip. They had some ceramic on ceramic ones that I was looking at, um, but they've kind of moved away from those because they could crack yeah. and things like that. The lifespan was huge. Um, they had they they could crack, and then they also had the side effect of squeaking. 
So, which I thought was pretty cool, actually. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like ah, here right. comes Phil. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and she needs to be prepared. Like, I had weird clunking for a while. Um, because, because that soft tissue wasn't tight. Yeah. I mean, so and that just felt weird. I would literally feel that joint clunk. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, as far as I know, that's the best thing out there right now. I know that's what, and I talked to Ed, Ed Cohn before I got mine done. And that's what he had put in. Now he, I think he has a second one. Oh, so, good to know. Uh, mm-hmm. And he went overseas to get his done. But I mean, if, if the best in the world that are lifters are getting that hip, then you're probably okay giving it to your mom. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, good stuff. Real good stuff. Uh I have one more question to address before we go to break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about elephant in the room kinds of topics. But um, this is from Dan. He just says, long-time listener here, four-plus years, never emailed y'all. I'm 30-year-old male, been lifting for about eight years, now focusing on powerlifting. I was curious if there are any studies that link restless leg syndrome with heavy lifting. Um, I've got RLS. Uh, very frequently at night, and I'm wondering if there are any common remedies um, in the lifting community. If not, thanks for your time, Dan. Now, Dan, I'm going to tell you one thing. Usually exercise training is a treatment for restless legs, Mm. right? I mean, it's effective. You you go There's 2018 papers. If you go to the National Library of Medicine, you're going to find it. What I did was I actually pulled a paper here that I thought would be helpful from the – Canadian Medical Association Journal. It's literally called Five Things to Know About Restless Leg Syndrome. It's from two MDs, uh, Felipe Rizek and Niraj Kumar. Um, So let me run down these real quick for you, uh, things you might want to consider. I'm not sure it's the exercise, I guess is what I'm telling you, that is causing the, the restless legs. It's probably some other things, and exercise is usually helpful. So number one, restless leg syndrome is the most common movement disorder characterized by an irresistible, often uncomfortable urge to move the legs when at rest. It hits about 5 to 10% of the population. Uh, number two, the diagnosis of restless leg syndrome is clinical. The syndrome is diagnosed based on specific criteria uh, using mnemonic urges, quote unquote, uh, to move the limbs, etc., there's different secondary causes that are linked to this that they want to exclude, you know, um, again, like differential diagnosis, but uh, they it, they have to be cautious the way they diagnose it. Number three, uh, secondary causes of restless leg syndrome and exacerbating factors should be recognized and treated. Um, common other causes, right? Not just probably what you have, Dan, but... Um, Causes could be renal impairment, low iron, low serum ferritin, um, eliminating anti-dopaminergic drugs. Um, One of the things they they have to address is sleep hygiene, uh, reducing caffeine, reducing alcohol. And I could just offer this. I I feel like I have a bit of this myself. I've never been diagnosed. But the days that I'm really heavy on the caffeine, it seems to be worse. Uh, especially if I don't go to the gym and sort of burn through that, you know, and address that. So, um, just some stuff there on on secondary uh, causes and that and that sort of thing. Number four, restless leg syndrome is not associated with an increased risk of developing a neurodegenerative disorder such as Parkinson's disease. So, although dopamine deficiency has been implicated in restless leg syndrome, uh, it's not it's not the same ball of wax. Um, and number five, treatment may be required for life. 
um, and there's different kinds of um, you know dopaminergic agents and that sort of thing. Interestingly, coffee is dopaminergic, but if you overdo the caffeine, that could worsen it. So anyway, I would point everybody to the uh, Canadian Medical Association Journal. This is from February 2017. Um, and it's just five things to know about restless leg syndrome. Maybe I'll even post it on our Facebook listeners group. So I hope that helps. Phil, do you know anybody in, at your place that struggle with restless legs? And is it related to stimulants or anything else? Or No, I don't. I'm not dealing with any of that right now. Okay. Okay. Well, th- that's all I can offer, Dan. At least there's a little bit of evidence I can point you to this. Again, I was reading through this very quickly, so please go chew on this. It's it's really straightforward. This is not a very um, complex kind of thing. It's a one-sheet info you know, item that you can uh, take a look at from the Canadian uh, Medical Association Journal. Okay, having said that, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, gear, pharmaceutical enhancement, why you don't always hear athletes you know, obsessing over it and that sort of thing. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you Uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. (laughs) 
All right, everyone, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about what we're going to call the elephant in the room. I'm not sure it necessarily is an elephant, um, but we're going to address five different issues surrounding the use of performance-enhancing meds, um, especially as they relate to strength and power athletes, because I think, unfortunately, um, our sports become the poster boys for this kind of thing, right? People are, are tend to be, frankly, naive. They'll, they'll watch the Olympic Games or track and field athletes or even cyclists, although that's changed a bit in recent years, and not instantly say, oh, steroids, you know, oh, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, but when you look at really strong, really large physiques, it's just sort of physically in your face so they get you know attention more than some of those other sports where the use can be at least as as prevalent right all right let's start with with the first on my list here phil um because i know jim wendler has talked about this before and i think he has great comments on this but there are obvious legalities right like if we have someone on on the show who's a world-class power lifter uh really high-end bodybuilder there are obvious legalities, you know, so I remember a quote from Dorian Yates, in fact, where a kid asked him, it was like one of those little seminars, and he's like, tell us about what you use and, and how much and what's your stack like, and, and Dorian just looked at him and kind of tilted his head and said, we both know I can't discuss that. Next question, you know, and he just moved on. Um, can you comment to that kind of thing, Phil, the legalities and whatnot? Uh, I mean, what people need to understand is if you ask somebody that, hey, what do you want? Or whatever, however you want to phrase it. You're asking this person to admit to a felony. Yep. To somebody they don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, mm-hmm. that's asking a lot of somebody. Um, Especially honestly, if, it's, if you're just curious. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And honestly, it's none of your business. I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's the number one thing. I mean, some people are very open about it. And I know, you know, even talking to police officers and whatnot, um, they're generally not looking for it. You know, they happen upon a, that type of thing. From what I've heard, is like they happen a, upon steroid bus when they're when they're popping people for something else. Like, oh, we're we're, we're rushing this meth lab, and they just happen to have a bunch of this too. Yeah, um, whatever it is. But still, I mean, you're still asking somebody to 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 admit in this country to a felony that is they're classified as higher higher than street drugs. So. Yeah, the I mean, that's the number one thing you need to realize. It's like, who are you to think you can ask somebody that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that'd you be know, one thing. Jim, what, I, I think Jim said it's literally a felony to be excess male in this country. Yeah, and, yeah I mean, is. that kind of sums up the the sort of um, the relative absurdity of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> of all the things that could be. And to your point about when they when they go and they seize or arrest, uh, you know, other kinds of drugs, mm-hmm. it, it gives. They, they love to throw this in. It kind of it yeah. dirties the waters a little bit. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. And that's because of the sports. But, I mean, we go up right up to Canada, and you can openly talk about it because it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. So In the same way. I mean, it's sure. just different. It's different here in the States. You know, it's legal use in Canada for personal use. It's just illegal to sell. So, I mean, number one, it's that. It's you're asking somebody to, to yeah. tell a stranger that they are a felon. Right. You know? Just so. to satisfy their curiosity again. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. – yeah, that's it's just yeah. not – it, to say that it's rude is an understatement, kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. No, I mean to put it this way, though. I mean, okay, I'm a, I'm a I'm a coach. I'm a strength coach. And if I were to sit here and tell you that nobody over all my years that I've coached has ever been on stuff, 
I'd I'd be lying to you and you guys would know it. Yeah. Um, and that's my my uh, my rules as far as my athletes is is I don't care if you are. You just need to tell me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to know this, and it's but other than that, it's between you and me. Um, and my rules are like if I have an athlete that is, then you are not allowed to compete in a federation or an organization that does not allow it. Because right. if something were to happen and you were to turn up 30, that shines bad on me. Yep. And yep. in this day and age, there's plenty of places for you to compete that they're allowed. So Yeah. You know, I think that really brings up uh, one of the things when you – like in university courses, I had an ethics of sport class You know, when I was a grad student. And one of the ways you can wrestle with these ethical issues is intent. Right, And if somebody is in an open competition and their intent is to enhance recovery or, I don't know, self-actualize in some way that's really calls for pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. that's different than entering a natural competition right, uh, where you're clearly cheating and breaking the rules. Again, you're not technically – I know this sounds weird to a lot of people, but you're not technically cheating by using performance-enhancing meds if it's an open sport. Right, yes. and there, and there's a yeah. lot of that in powerlifting and bodybuilding, mm-hmm. and so you're not technically cheating. Cheating is breaking no. a a rule that prohibits it. I think yep. it's cowardly myself. Again, yeah, if somebody in bodybuilding or powerlifting were to go in and just mop the floor with natural people, like you said, how badly would that reflect on you? Like, yes. Well, Phil, that's not your coaching. That guy is, you know, that's completely. Yeah. Um, it's taking a, a gun to a knife fight. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, intent so. I think is a big a big part of that. Mm-hmm. I've I've always raised the eyebrow the most when I see somebody who, you know, after years of being backstage at all levels, Rob and I will kind of look at some of these guys, even in high end. You know, they say they're natural, and I'm not going to name mm-hmm. names, but there's even been some pro bodybuilders who said they were natural. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're not. Don't yeah. don't do that. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, it's just not a natural state of being to walk around at 250 pounds with no body fat, right? No. <laughs> it's just not. No. It's just I mean, not. Honestly, I mean, nowadays you look at it and, you know, the women doing what they're doing. It's not natural, you know. Yeah, it's not <laughs> physiologically plenty, realistic. No, it's, yeah, and that's okay. I don't mind. The, the thing is people just need to get over it. It's out there. It's going to happen. It's happening at all levels in all sports. You look at the Olympics. Everybody thought the Olympics was clean for so long, and, uh. Well, you know, we're clean. We're this and that. Yeah, and then they started doing their back tasting. Now what are you saying? Where are you at now? Yeah. You know, they just popped six more people, and they're talking about taking away Olympic weightlifting again. So, I mean, even in a sport that is clean, the majority of them aren't. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's a tough spot for a coach. For a coach like me, I mean, I have Olympic weightlifters that are at national level, but I know – and I'll tell you this 100%, my, my, my lifters in Olympic weightlifting, they are all natural, every one of them. And I, I, you know, so I'll just come out there and say that. But I know we're lifting against people who aren't. But I'm making them go by the rules of their sport. <laughs> you know, it's the only tough. honorable way to do it. Yeah, you know? but I mean that's a tough one to chew because you know you're getting your butt kicked. And uh, oh, right. we'll probably never reach them yeah. because they're doing it and, and a thousand other people are. You know? Yeah. So it, it's a sport where if you're going to be at the highest level, you're going to find a way around the rule, and you'll probably get popped six years from now in the back testing. But is that worth? At this Olympics, you get gold. You know, and they've talked about that with Olympic weightlifters who've, who've after the back testing, people who were in like eighth and now are now gold. They're like, yeah, but it doesn't really count. I didn't get to stand on the podium. 
they got to hear their anthem played. You know, they got the, and that's really all you get at the Olympics. You know, you get the chance to stand up and everybody and hold your flag and have the have the have your your anthem played. And those people got that. And the people who eight years later ended up in first from back testing, they don't get that. They don't get to go back and stand on the podium. Oh right, so, right. yeah, you know? I get it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think we've sort of addressed this, but if a woman is squatting, you know, ridiculous weights, you know, let's say over five hundred pounds, or guys are squatting a thousand, you know, stuff like that. Uh, or you're talking to somebody who, again, is over 250 pounds. Hell, I'll go for, so far as to say over 220 pounds, like shredded, you know, uh, unless they're very, very tall. Is it just a given? And you just move on to the more interesting stuff, right? Like that's part – it's like food. You could talk about that or the medicines that they're using, the, the drugs that they're using. Um, Maybe that's why we just move on to the more interesting stuff, right? You're not, and I'm not going to name names, but there are yeah. some pro powerlifters and bodybuilders. I love to have discussions with them, but if it's sort of a given because you know it's physiologically impossible to be that big and that lean, um, let's just talk about the fun stuff then. I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, do you just no, you know yeah, get over I it mean, and move it, on? You know, yeah. I mean, and at a certain age, uh, or high even age, at a certain experience level, you just know. You know who, oh, yep, okay, they are, you know, and, uh, you know, honestly, in powerlifting, at open events, and hell, I mean, even the, even the USAPL, I mean, all these organizations are, are, are jacked up, the ones that are supposedly clean, I mean, when you have people, I keep coming back to this, but like, like Dana Lynn Bailey became the poster child for USAPL, and supposedly lifetime drug free, I'm sorry, she was an NPC, uh, she won figure competitions yeah. in an organization that demands you are yeah. but now she's the, the poster child for lifetime drug free lifting uh and i'm not saying i know that dana is but there's a really really good chance she is and it just frowns upon the organization Well, to be honest but, uh, phil i mean we both know i mean if you're around high-end athletes in these sports yeah. long enough you can almost not just tell that they are on but what they're on yeah, you know, and, yeah, I'm not, I'm not stupid. Yeah, you know, I mean, just because some of the um the the aesthetic cues that you get, you know, if someone's really bloated and purple face and stuff, yeah. you know, all oh, that guy's also, probably using a lot of like testosterone and stuff like that, and you know, yeah. and then uh, there are certain cutting drugs in bodybuilding. Like you can look at people, Rob and I would do that and be like. That guy's on Winstrol because look at how how striated he is, and you know what I mean. And that kind of stuff, you could kind of pick up yeah. on these sorts of cues. With and again, do you know for sure? No, you don't. But yeah, yeah. come on, you know. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, at this point, it's a given. I mean, it's so. And the, like Dave Tate has talked about, they said the bad thing is is that like eighty percent of the drugs are going to people who don't compete. It's just regular people in the freaking gym. That want to look kind of okay. Oh, recreational. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he went off. Dave went off one time. He's like, you guys quit doing that because you're making it harder for us to get it. You know, people <laughs> yeah. actually want to do something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just, in, in let's say in powerlifting, in, which most federations are, are just open. I mean, and all my people compete in in open competition. And most of my people aren't. But we don't care. We're just going out there and hitting it hard. And yeah, you can even learn a lot from these people. What what gets this guy to three hundred and ninety pounds and fairly lean and strong as shit? You can still learn from that training. You might only be two twenty and you know whatever, but you can still learn from the training from them. And people think it's a this magic bullet that just you're you're huge and strong right away. And it's just not it's not that way. 
So, um, honestly, Phil, that's when I competed. I did that. <clears throat> there were a couple of times. I remember there was one time in particular. I've mentioned this on air before, but a guy came in, won my class, and went on to win the nationals. He was a head shorter than everybody else, <laughs> with mm-hmm. the same amount of muscle mass. So you can imagine how yeah. much thicker he was, right? Yeah. Um, his skin was literally pink cellophane, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not just going to say. So tell me what you're using and, and how yeah. you do that. And now backstage, sometimes you do hear some guys talk about it to each other because I think the ones that can recognize each other are clearly on, you know, yeah. they'll yeah. they'll talk about it more so. But I, I think in a lot of ways, and this just may be the fact like through, through my education or my work in, you know, hospital settings or that kind of stuff. To me, it's almost like it, – well, it, it is. It's it's medical privacy or confidentiality. You know, it's mm-hmm. the use of medicines or someone's health history is not my freaking business. I mean if they want to volunteer that, fine, but I'm not going to ask them stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's a lot like that, I guess. But all right, I wanted to say one last thing as we start to wind this down too is I think the real ethical dilemma here um, – especially when you're talking about strength sports. Strength sports and muscle sports, they get a lot of heat because, oh, you know, how bizarre. You're the only sport that has open competitions, you know, drug competitions. It's like, listen, open doesn't mean drugs. I've competed in open competitions against mm-hmm. guys using drugs. Uh, and like you said, I take away – I learn from that. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, you've made some decisions I, I can't make. So yep. uh, oh, you look great, man. You know, I'm there to best my former self. You know, yep. kind of thing. And and that's not an excuse. That's real, right? We're talking about physiological realities, hormones, underwrite, tissue mass. Um, but I think the real ethical dilemma is when you – and this has been true for decades in bodybuilding and in powerlifting, maybe a little less so in powerlifting. But is when someone is so obviously pharmaceutically enhanced, like a Mr. Olympia competitor, and he holds up a jar of something as if that mm. made his – pharmaceutically enhanced physique look like that that competing in natural competitions if somebody's on or insinuating either implicitly or explicitly that some silly can of protein powder is what made you 250 pounds Mm -hmm. with striated glutes uh that's where that's just straight unethical i mean that's just that's just a lie you know and i think it miss and one of the reasons i think i like doing iron radio is we're trying to not make a lot of those 16-year-olds out there or 20-year-olds who are getting into this feel like chumps because they're yeah. taking that protein powder and, what, they're just genetically inferior? No. Son, that's drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel bad yeah. about yourself, you know, yes. because you've just – you've gained 20 pounds in the last year and a half, and that's incredible. And, and again, it's, it's that insinuation that it's a pill or a powder uh, that's a supplement – you know, mm-hmm. and that's what got you to a thousand pound squad. Well, it's my animal pack vitamins and my on protein. That's right. Yeah, Take exactly. that twice a day and you could get here too. be no. like me. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, what people need to realize is what uh, Diana ball hit the streets at like 1955 with athletes. That's yeah. like 60 some years ago. Old school. It ain't going anywhere. <laughs> it's been here for 60 years, people. And there's more, more things have come down the pipe since then. And, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the sport. It's part of all sports. Um, I would venture to say that most NFL players are on it. Most NBA players are on it. I've trained people in professional sports in all the professional sports. And I'm without naming names. I can tell you they're on it. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and basically it's just how naive people are, which I guess that's okay. I mean, but, uh, 
at some point, if you're getting into these sports, you got to realize that. And then, just like you did, like you just talked about, you you set your own boundaries, and then it's okay. Like all my people lift in in open competitions, and they're okay with it. You know, and they're just doing going out there to do as best as they can. Maybe they won't ever do this, and uh, because they're not willing to take that step, and it's like that's okay. You know. Yeah, it's one of so many factors that, I mean, I think the fun thing about strength sports or muscle sports is you're juggling like 10, well more, hundreds of variables to line things up for a certain day to compete. Um, And it's, it's one of many things like that. Like when I competed, natural competitions are open because I like doing them both is Mm -hmm. I was always trying to be competitive i just didn't want to be in a lineup of 20 guys and just be told go sit down you know i wanted to be in the top five and that was kind of can i pit my education or whatever you know um knowledge of nutrition of training of whatever and at least mix it up with these guys and be competitive you know and that's i mean even even with age like me turning 42 it's uh even age is a number but i mean or your surgery open you know i still go compete open why Yep. Why do I compete open? Because I want to put myself up against. I want the best is my measuring stick. Yes, right. I want to see where I stack up. Yeah, you know, I don't care who's doing what. You know, and the minute you, I mean, it might be easier just to, in your head, just okay, everybody's on. Once you accept that, it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you just mm-hmm. think, uh, well, most likely everybody's on something, something, of some level. Then it then it's just just worry about yourself and doing the best you can and let's see where I stack up. That's a good way to put what it. I'm willing to do. Yeah, know? when I'm talking about juggling a hundred different variables, that's what I mean. Like you want to pit yourself. All things considered, where do I stack up here? Yeah, yeah. You and know? I mean, the only thing in life you can control is you. You can't control what what they're taking if they're entering a competition that's natural and they're not. You know, that's happening. It is happening. You know, and yeah. don't be surprised. It amazes me that people are surprised it does. Like people were so, oh my God, there's drugs in the Olympics. When you have compounds out there that'll make athletes the better than they are, or like Jim puts it, more male. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you've got Type A personality athletes. You don't think they're going to try it? You know, I mean, they did that. They did that uh, questionnaire with Olympic athletes that, uh, you know. Ask them, would you take something that guaranteed you the gold medal, but you knew it would kill you five years later? And like 87% of them said yes. Yeah, yeah. So you don't think they're going to, you know, it's going to happen, you know, and it's not going to stop. And the the sooner you realize it and become okay with it with yourself, then the sooner it doesn't matter. And you'll just start worrying about you and what you can control and make your own choices. If it's good for you, then it's good for you. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Who cares? And for listeners, if you guys – we've actually done a few things. Rob and I did a a couple of back and forth like experiments versus experience episodes about what's competitive. You know, like if you're going to think about getting into powerlifting or bodybuilding competitions, um, listen, you you can get in at any level. But, Phil, you and I both know like we've seen guys on bodybuilding stages and you're like someone should have given you some advice not to get up there yet. Oh, yeah. little, you know – pooch hanging over their posing trunks and just you know that sort of thing and so we've actually wrestled a little bit back and forth obviously listeners can go to ironradio.org and pull up some of that old audio about you know what is competitive and what's realistic naturally you know Mm -hmm. as far as like bodybuilding and stuff like i said if 
if if 250 ripped is not natural, you know, what's the What's the gray area there? I'm going to just kind of guess that it's probably around, you know, between 200 and 220 in in good, damn good shape. I mean, that's about, depending on your height, of course. Yes, height that's, yeah. that's really pushing the envelope there. You start going, side, you know, definitely above that. And, yeah, you just, like you said, you can't be yeah, naive. And, I mean, even, even at the coaching aspect, I mean, as far as ethical and unethical, I mean, I've seen it, like, kids – a gym sees a kid that does real well and they come up to him and they, they go promise him the stars. Like, you know, he hits a 1400 pound total. Well, if you come to us, we'll promise you a 2000 pound total without just, it's just the training. And, uh, it's like, no, no, bro, that you're, you're offered, you're, you're lying to this kid. Yeah. You're flat out lying to him. Yeah. And it, I don't know how many times as a strength coach, like I have people come up to me. It's like, okay, what's your goals? Cause I always go through that. And you know, somebody's like, I want to be the best in the world. Okay, well, it's time to have that conversation. Here's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you need to accept that. If you can't accept that, then let's get it out of your head that you're going to be the best um, because that's what it takes. And it's just what I'm, – I'm not, I'm not being an asshole. I'm not – I'm just telling the truth. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. So – and they need to know that. Well, then, because, you know, again, I think you're honest. you're preventing them from, you know, the crashing their self-esteem. Like, why am I a chump and I can't do this, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, well, because it, it's just like, I'm not seven feet tall. I'm not going to play in the NBA. You know, yeah, it's a, it, exactly. it's similar in that way. You can't just say all those guys, they're just so gifted. Now, listen, being gifted for strength or size, that's important, but it's not going to make you, like you said, just like in your scenario, I've heard the same thing. I want to be a pro bodybuilder. I'm like, all right, pump the brakes, you know, Mr. Excited mm-hmm. Pants, because, Let's focus on you know a re, a, a non national qualifier local show first. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Instead of yeah. jumping up to because what they they don't realize what they're asking is not just to dabble, um, but to go on and not even cycle so much. Almost basically stay on large polypharmaceutical stacks all the time. Always, yes, yeah. yeah. And that's and that's like- a big question to have to ask somebody. Yeah, and it's it's realizing that, and it, like I said, it's making that choice, whichever way you want to go. But like I think again, it was Dave Tate that talked about this. He's like, if you took drugs away from the NFL, you know, and they were just somehow you stopped everybody from doing them, and they just couldn't. The same people would still be there. Mm-hmm. The same athletes would still be on the field. Tom Platts used to say that too. You know, it's mm-hmm. because you know they're they're just genetic freaks with a huge work ethic. Now, you take genetic freaks with a huge work ethic and give them pharmaceuticals. Now you've got a huge freak. You know, yeah. it's the, the same people would still be there. And a lot of it, a lot of it does boil down to mentality and work ethic. Cause I've seen, I've seen genetic freaks that just have no work ethic. And I've seen genetically average people that have a hell of a work ethic. And, you know, there's just, it's just grindstone, you know, heads moving forward and make it a long, long ways. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh-oh. All right, yeah. All right, well, I hope that addresses um, the listener question, you know, about why you don't hear a, a lot of these topics come up, um, whether it's legalities or reinforcing stereotypes or, you know, the intent is not always to cheat, you know, and get one up on somebody unfairly. And again, because of the difference in open competitions, uh, people can have their own opinions on whether open is a good thing or a bad thing. I think in some ways it's more honest than the way, like you were saying, the Olympic Games do it. You know, mm-hmm. well, let's just pretend that we're, we're going to promote that everybody's natural when they're clearly not, you know. And yeah. so, 
All right. Good stuff. Um, yeah, thanks for the input, man. Yep. Have a good one. We'll see you. Yep. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.